I should have some empathy and mercy on myself. You know, you're going through your journey. You know, they weren't where they are now when they were uh, in their 20s. So why are you so harsh on yourself? There's no need to be like that. You know, just go through your journey, learn. Once upon a time, there were tens of thousands of makers struggling. Every day they built for hours and hours, but didn't ship and didn't earn enough income. One day, the No Code Wealth podcast came to help them find a way. Because of this, makers became founders and earned the money they deserve. Because of this, founders can have growth, freedom, and wealth. Wealth of time wealth of impact, wealth of family and relationship, as well as financial wealth. True wealth is what I'm really all about. And this journey has been full of ups and downs for me. Hello, my name is Abdulaziz, and from being a poor boy born to a single mother in North Africa with no money, no connections, only hard work, persistence, and even more hard work, to a European Ivy League business graduate with a great job. Still, I've lost everything twice, but I refuse to give up. So now I'm rebuilding my life one more time, 1% a day. On this podcast, I'm privileged to interview hundreds of amazing people, from members of the Forbes Technology Council, Google executives, Amazon, Microsoft, LinkedIn executives to Financial Times reporters and people from Harvard University, Cambridge, Stanford, even the Vatican Church, congressional candidates, and decorated veterans, or just beginners wishing to make a difference in this world. All are welcome here, and thank you all so much for the support. After all this hard work of publishing a new interview every day, This podcast now is ranking highly on Apple in the entrepreneurship category. Top 200 in San Francisco, top 100 in Australia, top 100 in Singapore, top 60 in Germany, top 50 in Canada, top 50 in the United Kingdom, and top in many other places. So please share this podcast with one new person today, because when they will listen to this podcast, they'll be in very good hands. And if you are interested in my marketing or podcast mentoring services, send me an email to mentor at storybonding.com or on Twitter, no code wealth. Let's begin. My guest today is Haman Mahmoudi from Niagara College to online virtual school to being the lead designer at NXM Labs Inc from Toronto, Ontario, Canada. Haman is a seasoned designer with more than eight years of experience in brand development and execution, web, UI, and UX design for a broad range of clients and brands worldwide. He is a jack of all trades, entrepreneurial spirit, hustling procrastinator, husband, Muslim, immigrant, clubhouse addict, social introvert, deep thinker, interested in mindset, psychology, design, productivity, self, and professional 
development. Haman, how are you today? I'm great. Thank you for having me, Abdul Aziz. How are you doing? I'm doing fantastic, full of energy, and ready for this. So <laughs> I'll like begin. Hope. Thank you. I'll begin with my favorite new question, which is this. Haman, these days, on a personal level, what seems to be the thought in your mind that keeps on returning, demanding to be heard, demanding that you think about maybe something to change, to improve, or to value and find it more important in your life and in the lives of others? Wow, okay. Great question to uh, begin off the conversation. Um, actually, this is something that I've been thinking about more recently. I would say since the pandemic started, I've been really having this hustle mindset, um, whether I'm working eight hours, 12 hours, just losing track of time, hustling away, learning, reading, um, taking courses and so forth. But more recently, I think as the new year started, I've been realizing that, you know, like no matter how much I hustle, there's, I need to kind of bring balance back to my life. You know, I need to volunteer more. In the past, I used to volunteer, offer my skills and services to um, companies that couldn't really afford it, nonprofits and so forth. I've been trying to do that more while, you know, balancing it with work and family and so forth. So really trying to be more service to others rather than always hustling and chasing the dollar. Um, I'm very comfortable. I live a comfortable life. And I think I need to bring myself back to um, being more of service to people rather than of service to the dollar. Thank you. So what I heard is this, especially at the beginning of the pandemic, the uh, hustler mentality went into overdrive where you were working many, many hours, losing track of time, studying courses, doing trainings, etc., and then during the period of the new year, it was there was a realization that you need to bring balance more into your life, that you do actually have a comfortable life. So there is no necessity to be unbalanced, focused on serving the dollar, but it's more about balance and returning to that good feeling of knowing you can be of service to others, maybe volunteering helping companies that cannot afford your fees with your services and having a more meaningful rather than profitable approach to work and to life. Is this correct? That's 100% on point correct. Thank you very much. And to explain off-service in two ways. One, what was in your childhood or in growing up? A role model, a story, an experience, or something that put the value of being of service in you? And second, if you were to define your own meaning of how to be best of service to others, what would you say? So it's about the formative experience that made this a value in your life and the meaning of being ideally of service. Yeah, so I think in, the, in childhood, it was more, I came from, you know, I'm from the Middle East, so I came from, my parents are from Iran, I was um, from Iraq, so they migrated into Iraq during the, um, I think it was when Iraq or invaded Iran, so, you know, they sought refuge in Iraq while that was happening, or I think when the regime took over Iran, um, I wasn't born, so I'm just uh, 
kind of going on over the history of it very quickly. So you could imagine, you know, them migrating and being refugees in another country, really um, already under a government that's quite uh, oppressive at that time, which was um, Saddam. So they were living there, and you can understand that we're living in mud homes and um, huts and so forth. So, you know, the luxuries of today that I have um, was really unimaginable at that age, you know, um, seven, eight years old, like where I, like I'm an artist, like um, my mind is very artistic in that sense. So when I'm at that age, like not having colored pencils, you know, when I came across colored pencils was like an enlightening moment for me, you know, just having just paper and regular pencil, that's really all I had until I came across colored pencils and stuff. So I guess these experiences and being in that, having memory of these times really drives me to be better and um, the hustle, it gave me the hustle to do more and, you know, not waste time, be more productive in my mindset. And more recently, like I said, it's coming back to me that, you know, I'm comfortable. Like I, I live in Toronto, Canada, you know, good job, you know, my side hustles and stuff are doing well, you know, and I need to be, give my time back, you know, I need to be, to offer my services to people that, you know, could do, could give them the opportunity to do better and give opportunity to other people that could do better. So I guess that's where really my mindset comes from. Um, um, as for role models, really, honestly, I'm very, I'm an intrinsic, uh, intrinsically motivated. Um, so I, I didn't, role models at a young age, I didn't really have. Um, I'm very internal in my thoughts. So my my thoughts or my motivation and my ideas are really from myself and just my reflections. So role models I didn't really have much of as a, at a young age. It was just internal reflection and a vision that really drove me. Thank you. So if I understood correctly, your parents were originally from Iran. And when there was a war, the war between Iran and Iraq, they went as refugees to Iraq under the oppressive Saddam regime. And you said you're Iraqi, it means you were born there. And you were living in mud houses and you didn't even realize the possibility of having color uh, pencils and pens, etc., for you to follow your artistic inclinations. And therefore, at the time, that ignited in you a desire and drive to hustle hard, to escape poverty. And now you're living well. You're in Toronto, Canada, and your job is going well and your side hustles are doing well. So there is no objective reason to continue that hustle mentality because it's out of balance. While you can return to balance and take a more spiritual approach of giving your time to make other people's lives better rather than serving the dollar more and more. Is this correct? Correct, yeah. And I would just add on that um, culturally, I'm I'm Kurdish in culture. So because I, being in Iraq, Iraq is a very diverse country in its cultures. So I, w- I wouldn't be considered an Arab. I'd be a Kurd in definition. Thank you. And then to go a bit further into this, because you mentioned New Year, 
And in many ways, those defining moments that change our mindset, if you share them in more detail, the listener could almost relive them with you and begin moving more towards this balanced state and desire. As you said, you're intrinsically motivated. So what happened around the new year period that created this revelation or reflection or realization for the need to not serve more the dollar, but to be of service to others? So there's, you know, as a Muslim, I have a set of beliefs on what is provision, what is wealth, um, and the understanding of these is different. So uh, so I need to kind of explain this to um, go back to that. It's, for example, on the idea of provision, you know, I have a belief that um, this is set, you know, provision com- comes from God. Um, I can hustle 12 hours or I can hustle eight hours. Really, it'll be the same, you know, and, you know, it won't be too different in its in of itself. So from an earlier experience, for example, you know, I've worked hard, you know, driving and having a driving and trying to connect with businesses and so forth. And there, the idea of or the idea of a blessing in my efforts wasn't much there. For example, early in my career, um, I'm hustling a lot. I'm, you know, my first job, I'm making 35K a year, you know, not a whole lot, you know, but I'm working hard and it's not increasing. So when I was more of service to other people, when I was taking my religion into consideration and trying to help more people rapidly, really, my salary was increasing, you know. So there's the mindset is that, you know, this idea of, you know, being of service and doing good beyond, you know, chasing the dollar, there will be more blessing in your life, whether that's in wealth and family, uh, in mental health and so forth. So uh, as I was saying, so I needed to explain this. So in the last year, I like, you know, I was kind of going back to the hustle mindset of work 12 hours, make this much money and so forth, you know, just grind it out. And then I need to, I needed to kind of reflect back that, you know, my provision isn't, really all for myself, you know, it's not for myself at all, you know, I put the effort, and it'll come my way, you know, Um, there's blessings in volunteering and helping other people, you know, when you help somebody that is of a need, that puts blessings in your own life, that gives you, you know, makes your life better, you know, and blessings in the sense, not just in wealth, but in your own mental health, you know, there's many rich people, many people with money, but their mental health is not in a good state. So this, it brings this balance back in life, so that's what I've really kind of been going back to in the last uh, couple of months. Thank you. So the belief is, in when it comes to provision, it's already predetermined and set. And it's more about the blessing in what you're doing. And you had that first job that wasn't paying a whole lot, but you worked very hard and nothing was happening. But when you're of service to others, you'll have more blessing, not only financially, but in every other way, whether it's your, in your mental well-being and health or physical health or your family or uh, the relationships and those who you love. And therefore, to do that, you will receive a more holistic way of happiness and of being rather than being only focused on serving the dollar. Is this correct? Yes, exactly. That's exactly correct. And yeah, so just to expand on one part, you know, the idea of, you know, provision being set, it's not in the sense that also, you know, you just sit around and do nothing. 
it's that you put effort, but a balanced effort, you know, not, you know, lacking sleep and um, not taking care of your responsibilities, but it's just a balanced effort, you know, not not just putting 12 hours in work and disregarding your family or disregarding your own mental health and so forth. Thank you very much. And other than, okay, being of service, then other than that blessing that you will receive, of course, do you have a sense of happiness or flow or fulfillment or any other emotions that happen to you that are positive when you are of service to others that you don't feel when you're doing the same thing but being of service to the dollar? 100%. Very uh, big difference. There's a sense of peace, you know, there's a sense of you know, when you're, when you're just after the dollar, the thing is, you know, there's a saying that we have, it's, you know, give man a mountain of gold, he'll look for a second one, you know, so when you're, when you're in that mindset, when you're just working for the dollar, you're, let's say you're making $500 today, then all you're thinking about is the next 500 or is the next thousand, you know, but when you're just doing it out of goodness of your heart or the just to help people you're not your mindset isn't like oh i'm getting this for myself you're just helping as in from a sincere heart that just gives a more tranquil tranquility in the heart and a tranquil mindset thank you which reminds me of a lot of studies where they show if someone cannot be happy with 20 bucks in their pocket they cannot be happy with 20 million because what happens is they train the brain to be happy later. And therefore, when they arrive, let's say they think, I'll be happy when I have 100,000. Well, all that time, their brain is thinking they'll be happy in the future when they arrive. Then their brain is not used to being happy now. It will think about the next thing. I will think, okay, half a million is my goal. When they arrive there, they say a million will be the goal. When they arrive to one million, they look at the other person and think, wow, that person has 5 million, I have to reach there. And suddenly they are 70 years old, their life spent chasing the dollar and they're ready and to end it all. And it's gonna end without them living or having that tranquility. Does this resonate? And is tranquility to you in many ways, not chasing something outside of ourselves, but being content, full, and happy in the moment rather than feeling a lack? Or what is your own definition of your own sensation of tranquility? Very, uh, you said something very powerful to uh, begin with, you know, um, on the idea of peace and so forth and service. I think, you know, you made me reflect back on, you know, when I was back in Iraq or, you know, when we were in as refugees and I'm comparing it really to myself now, I can't really, I couldn't even tell you that am I happier than I was then, you know? So the my pro, my wealth or my what I have now isn't really my sense of peace, you know? It, it, I can't tell you that I'm happier now than I was then, you know? I, I could even argue that I was probably happier then, but you could also say that maybe, oh, you were a child, you didn't understand things. So fair point. Um, as for tranquility, I think the sense of it is you know, it's it's about the balance, right? There is, um, when you, you know, we have the, in, in, uh, as Muslims, we have the belief that, you know, there's the decree of God, you know, 
we do our best to make something happen. You know, we do our best to do better or, you know, get married or have kids and so forth. But at the end of the day, whether that happens or not, it's not up to you. The, the outcome is not up to you. The effort is up to you. You make the effort. And if God wills it, you will receive it. If not, you won't receive it and you just continue and be a balanced human being and so forth. So I think this gives this sense and this uh, mindset gives me the tranquility that, you know, that I am looked out for, you know, I as a human being, I lack skills, I lack, you know, effort, I lack knowledge. But as long as I am putting the effort, um, whether if the outcome is there, it's good for me. If it's not there, then I have the confidence that, you know, God has decided that this is not good for me. This isn't good for me, therefore it's not in my decree, or it's not good for me right now. You know, for example, um, I'm, I don't have $100 million right now because maybe I have the mindset that maybe that won't be good for me. That will distance me from my religion, that will distance me from my relationships and so forth. Maybe when I build a mindset that I can handle more wealth and I can be balanced with it, then maybe at that point I'll have more, you know. But still, like I said, you still need to put in the effort and so forth. But the tranquility comes from the sense that I have done my part and this is this is set and I am satisfied with it. And I am satisfied with what I have. Thank you. So there are so many things to say. I will ask to professional people that you're dealing with in Canada, do you notice they're happy or not so happy? Do they have tranquility or not? That is one thing. And the second, if you believe that there was a decree for you to get whatever you're meant to get that is good for you, what drove that sense of hustle and forgetting this balance, although you knew this already, like what was a belief or a distraction that made this not be top of mind? Good question. I think um, as for the people that I deal with, um, it kind of relates to the question that you asked, you know, when you're in the when you're just constantly in an environment, you know, when you're in a business environment, you're just purely around people that are money mindset. You know, these things have an impact on you, whether we like it or not. Other people's vibes, you could say, has an impact on us, you know. So if I'm constantly in a business environment, if I'm constantly in a mindset of people, you know, just chasing and chasing, then that kind of rubs off on me. And I kind of adopt that mindset and forget that, hey, you know, I had, uh, this is what I believe, so why am I acting in this manner, you know? Um, so that's, you know, it's it's. I think it's natural when you're in one environment for that environment to really rub off on you and then you forget where you, what your initial uh, beliefs are, you know? So sometimes you have to kind of pull yourself back or, you know, have good company that reminds you of this, you know, um, that you share the same values with and they kind of remind you and you're like, oh yeah, you're right. You know, I need to bring balance back to my life. Um, as for more on the professional side, unfortunately, I think because we're constantly in a business environment, um, we don't really get to open up like that with people on their mental health uh, and so forth. You know, like I'm, I join a clubhouse occasionally and it's a lot of business conversation and I join clubhouses where, you know, there's business owners, you know, and their mental health is not great, you know, and this this is the platform that they open up on. But in a business setting, it's not really there. In the business setting, we always put up the front of, you know, I am, I'm a, I'm a millionaire. I may not be, you know, 
but we put up a front in the business world. Um, but in the sense of inner peace and so forth, we that the front shouldn't be there. So it's really tough to cross that boundary of um, the business mindset into a more heart-to-heart conversation. I hope that makes sense. Thank you. Yes, it's like we are the average of the five people we spend most time with, or we cannot exceed the beliefs and thoughts on standards of our environment. We are not some um, stoic beings in the modern sense, not in stoicism, the philosophy, but we're permeable as people around us have a certain belief. Even if we had a different one, it will over time rub rub over on us. And you spoke of that in business. We have to be profit-oriented professionals. We cannot have that heart-to-heart. So whether through truth or appearance, it seems that people are only focused on serving the dollar as it's supposed to be by definition in business. I mean, you cannot tell the people what business people, why are you working for money? Because that's why they're working in general, or at least the for-profit organizations and employees as well. So if I understood correctly, it's because when surrounded by people who are chasing the next thing and material improvement, it doesn't allow room for you to reflect and reconsider and rebalance. Is this correct? Exactly, yes. And that's why it's important to have a diverse, you know, diverse connections. You know, like I have business friends, you know, that I talk business with and I have friends that I talk mindset and, you know, contentment with, you know. So it's that's why it's important to have a balance of both and not just really be in one because um, it becomes a distraction. So definitely, yes, you hit it correctly. Thank you very much. And you mentioned Clubhouse. And you mentioned in your intro, you wrote that you're a clubhouse addict. Well, mention and speak about that. Why is clubhouse something really valuable in your life? How do you benefit from it? Does it allow you to have those diverse contacts, although you can be in the same place or without needing physical interaction? And what is so revolutionary and addictive in a positive way or negative way about clubhouse? Yeah, uh, yeah, great question. I think, yeah, I came across it, I think in December I got into it or uh, earlier this year. Um, I think what's really great about it is that, you know, sometimes you can just listen to somebody. Like I've, there's books that I've read and, you know, but I have questions about it. I would love to ask the author directly and so forth, but it's not realistic to have, have that expectation. But Clubhouse opens that opportunity for you. Like recently I was reading a book called Shape Up and then the author has a Clubhouse open. So I'm like, you know, I go in there and I'm asking questions about about his book. You know, I'm just sitting at my desk, you know, working and he's, oh, he just opened up a chat room. Let me ask him some questions, you know. So it just brings that more human to human voice, you know, like if me and you are talking um, through chat you know, the this conversation we're having is a on a much deeper level than we could ever have in chat. You know, I'm sure you would agree with that. I'm sure that's why you're on a podcast platform and not just writing blogs, you know. So the addictiveness of it is really just, you know, you're you can be in various groups, various conversations. So I can be in a religious 
spiritual conversation in one room. And then I have the business ones, you know, in the business ones, I get to ask questions. I get to share some of the problems I'm having in business. And then there's people there with much more experience than me that can give me some input. I Sometimes you do find people that they just speak without really having the experience. So sometimes you have to take it with a grain of salt, but it's really just that ability to so quickly have conversations with people uh, human to human, heart to heart, you know, not just text. And I think that's what it enables and that's what's made it addictive, especially in the pandemic that we're in. We're all kind of stuck inside for the most part. You know, having that voice to voice conversation is has become a need, you know, and that's what's made it so addictive. Thank you. And I understand that value and it's high. Although I would play the devil's advocate a little bit. Some people were saying and complaining about Clubhouse that there are two problems that are the main problems. One is if you go into um, a channel or a, a room that is for someone who is famous, that person will tend to dominate the conversation and everyone is just giving them accolades. Or if you go to any other kind, all the people are doing are showing off pretending to be successful millionaires and there isn't really that many constructive um, conversations going on but rather signaling and people trying to appear more successful and more of an expert than they truly are is this something you noticed if so how did you find a workaround or a solution for it and to go a bit deeper even do you think that Twitter spaces will replace Clubhouse or what is what will be with that situation happening? Yeah, great question. Yeah, for sure. Like um, you do find a lot of people that, you know, they're just there. Um, they say and they don't really know what they're talking about or they're, you know, everybody's um, just stroking their own ego, really. Um, so you do find that. And I think um, my solution to that is get a diverse, go be in diverse groups, have diverse conversations and see where things go, you know, see if the same opinions um, reappear and, you know, maybe share, uh, you know, you got advice in one group, somebody said this, maybe go share it in another one and see what other people think about, it, you know, uh, and so forth. Like for sure, if you're in the super large ones, you know, where 2,000, 3,000 people are listening in, it's difficult to get in for sure. Although I have been in rooms where I was able to ask questions and so forth. But for sure, it's uh, more difficult to get into those. But there are great smaller rooms that you can find. You know, anybody can make a room, anybody that you follow as an influencer or a marketer or a business owner, they have their own small rooms and they try to grow. You know, you can have conversations with them. You know, of course, you yourself need to have an understanding, at least a basic understanding. So, and don't act on one person's suggestion. You know, you need to do research, you know, just like any other form of research, you need to diversify and see where they're coming from. You know, um, so when I go on there, sometimes people ask me about branding and design. I tell them, you know, this is generally what I would say, you know, but take it with a grain of salt because each your context may actually drastically change my opinion if I knew it at a deeper level. And that's why we have consultations because we need to understand the context of your problem, you know. There's no uh, single solution for every situation. Um, so yeah, you just need to have a diverse understanding and um, don't be naive and believe everything, you know, um, just do your research. As for, you know, Twitter spaces, I actually haven't used Twitter spaces. 
this is something that happens frequently. I think a lot of uh, bigger social media, when something, you know, Snapchat grew, you know, Instagram picked it up, you know, TikTok grew, uh, Instagram picked it up. So they tried to really replace them and uh, copy them. And, you know, Instagram did that very clearly with Snapchat once they couldn't buy them. Um, So they just, you know, let me just do a copy. And it does become competitive um, and so forth. But I think uh, for Twitter, it needs to be, you know, there's a thing in design we say, it's a book called Hooked, you know, I was reading. It says, you know, for a new product to really dominate another one, you know, you need to be like 10 times better, you know, for it to really overcome that. You know, Twitter is, it may, it may become a competition, but I don't see it replacing it. Um, dedicated platforms like Clubhouse, you know, that do one thing that already have an audience, it'll be difficult to overcome it. You know, um, Facebook or Instagram copying Twitter, you know, won't really replace Twitter. It'll be a bit of a competition, but I don't see them replacing them like that. Thank you. That's really interesting. And I'll be really observing the development of Twitter spaces, which is still in beta. So many people don't have access to it, only some people. And Clubhouse, whether it will evolve and change in any way to compete, and therefore both will be improving each other even further. And to you, to return to something you said about yourself, you said you're internally motivated, intrinsically motivated, and your thoughts are internal, which is in psychology called an inner locus of control. Well, that is not normal for most human beings. Or as I was reading in one book called Why Therapy Works, that low self-esteem and caring too much what others think uh, think is uh, the natural state of human beings and high self-esteem and inner locus of control is the exception. Was there something that developed over time? Was there, were you always like that? So maybe it's an inborn genetic thing or maybe something in your life happened where you thought, okay, I, ca- I have to be self-reliant to make my own thoughts, my own decisions, because that's how I should live? Or how was that born? Because maybe this idea can inspire others to be also as well, inner, have their intrinsic motivation and inner thought and inner locus of control. Yeah, very interesting. I've actually never heard of that. Um, maybe I'll read up further on it since you say it's uh, I, I'm more of it. Um, I think the mindset, it's probably, it's been there for a long time. As long as I can remember, it's probably been there. Um, but I think the, just to be able to vocalize it, I think for me, it's, you know, as a human being, I'm on a journey. You know, I don't need to compare myself to other people. I can learn from other people. You know, I am living my own journey. I am going through my own process of success and failures and so forth. And, you know, as I said, I, it perhaps goes back to perhaps my mindset of, you know, pre, predetermination and uh, dest, uh, destiny. You know, I just need to strive. You know, uh, my motivation is, you know, not to please people. I'm not really chasing um praise and so forth because these are these are empty things to uh, seek you know there's really there's no contentment and there's no really peace you know somebody compliments you or you know you get a hundred likes on your ig or whatever you know 
you when you go sit on your sleep on your pillow and lay your head down you know that's not really giving you your um peace you know so that's i think that mindset has really perhaps helped me in building that intrinsic motivation um and also just really hmm, just really realizing that you know i as a human being you know am weak you know and I'm just doing my own thing, you know. I am, like I said, just my own journey, doing my own work, growing as a human being. I don't, uh, like, you know, Abdul Aziz here, you know, he's successful, you know, Abdul Aziz. But, you know, Abdul Aziz isn't living my life, you know. He's living his life. He's had his struggles, you know. Um, There's no need for me to compare myself to him, you know. you know, I wish him the best and so forth, but there's no need to have that jealousy of, you know, oh, you know, I wish I had what he had. Why does he have what, uh, you know, what I want and I don't have it and so forth. Um, so it was just really like we're all on our own journey. And, you know, like I said earlier that, you know, I am I could have a hundred million dollars as a provision ready for me in 10 years. You know, I just need to live in a manner that. I work steadily, like, you know, I said, you know, a balanced life. I work steadily, maybe in five, 10 years, I get to somewhere like that, you know. Um, I know I, I'm all over the place. It's a bit difficult to, um, it's a bit difficult to say where it comes from, but it's just really not seeking uh, validation from other people, you know, to say the least. Um, and, you know, there's a belief also I'll actually add on to is that, you know, we do things for the sake of God. In Islam, you know, the sincere heart is one that does good, that helps people, that takes care of their responsibilities at home, is good to his wife, is good to his kids, spends on his family and so forth. These things we do for the sake of God, meaning he expects these from us and we do it for him. We don't really seek, do it for, you know, for the compliment from our, you know, friends or, you know, family or our wives and so forth. You know, we do it, for, you know, because God commanded it and it makes us happy doing that, you know. So me doing, me striving and doing my thing, you know, I'm doing it for that purpose. So I'm not really doing it for other people. So it helps me in that mindset of just do it, you know, just do your best. You know, God just wants to see your effort. You know, it's your effort that counts, not really the outcome, you know. So and I, in my mind, you know, I'm like, God is aware of everything I'm doing. God is aware of everything, the good I'm doing, the bad I'm doing. You know, as long as I'm striving to be a better human being and be better than myself that I was yesterday or the week before, or the year before, then that's what matters. It's that sincerity of heart um, towards the, my relationship with God. And that's that's where a lot of my motivation, I think, comes from, you know. Um, and you can analyze that how uh, what you think is best. Thank you. So sincerity of heart and being process-oriented and journey-oriented, correct? Exactly. Yeah, exactly. And how does that journey orientation and process orientation play in your creative process? How do you approach creativity design in a way that could be have a similar journey or maybe it's totally different so can you speak about your creative process? Where do your ideas usually come from? Are they inspiration or do you use processes like IDO or any ideation processes? And do you focus always on the process 
above all, or how do you approach it? Yeah, I think process is important in design for sure. Um, it depends what I'm creating. For example, if I'm working on a product design, then process is definitely important. I need my research phase. I need to understand the problem I'm solving. Who am I solving this problem for? Um, what problems are my users having and so forth? So I need I need a deep understanding of um, the problem, you know, and the company that I'm working with. And, you know, from there, um, I start to ideate, you know, perhaps from my own mind at first and, you know, kind of come up with some solutions. And then um, I would have a peer review. Hey, when you think about this, have conversations uh, and so forth. And then once I have the idea and I start to um, do the visual design of it, then I may, you know, go to a website here and there uh, and see what the, what's trending and what's not trending and um, come up with uh, design solutions in that manner and then finalize it and so forth. So that's the process normally they call it the design process what i would normally go through uh, when i'm building a website or working for a client but when i'm actually just doing art for just for myself it's really a lot of imagination i have a feeling i have a feeling that i'm uh, that i'm very passionate about you know let's say we're talking about inner peace or you know the effects of social media and so forth you know i feel that and then in my mind, I try to, you know, I want to communicate this to people. So, you know, we're having this conversation. Let's say I want to communicate this to people and I start to imagine it. So I'm very imaginative. So some people it's difficult. You know, my mind is, I imagine everything. I I have a vision of the next 10 years. I have a vision of where I want to be before I hit the grave. You know what I mean? So my vision is quite uh, wide and I'm very imaginary in that sense. So um, so I envision it and I start to draw it out. And sometimes when I draw it out, I'm like, ah, oh, it didn't really look like when, what I imagined, right? So I just explore a number of variations and then uh, and then I'll look online. Okay, let me see how other people are solving these issues. And then from there, do the high fidelity, the high quality design that I think really communicates uh, the heart, you know, the emotion that I was trying to communicate to the, to my audience. Thank you. So those are two different processes and both are very useful. And from your own creative journey, own thought processes and experience with design or just with your big imagination and conveying and creating a feeling, did you come up with some lessons about life that come from this design and artistic field that you feel other people are not embodying and maybe you can share some that will be useful to have a better life for the listener. Yeah, definitely. Um, I think, you know, I I think just in my personality, it, just talking to me sometimes it's uh, not noticeable, but I'm, I'm a fairly empathetic person. I try to understand other people when I'm having a conversation with. A lot of times I, I listen to people. People are more comfortable talking to me because I'm, you know, a lot of times when you have a conversation, the other person just wants to talk. Or, you know, they want to talk as well. But I like to give people, you know, 70% of the talking or 80% of the talking. And that people tend to like that and it helps them in their problem and so forth. Um, so I've had that naturalness about it. And it's been very beneficial, actually, in the design process. Because it's really important for us to understand who we're solving these creative problems for, you know. And so understanding our users and so forth you know, is an, it's an important skill in design. It's actually one of the 
most important skills in design and in the product design process and taking that, you know, and, you know, using that in our daily lives. We don't have to just use that in work, you know, when we're in an argument with a friend or, you know, a spouse or, you know, and so forth in some relationship, you know, try to be, we try to be empathetic, listen to their side. You know, it's not always your imagination on what you think, you know, in design we have, don't, don't be biased. You have your uh, assumptions, but you need to validate your assumptions. You know, we don't just act on assumptions, you know, so we shouldn't act on assumptions in the relationships that we have, you know, um, I see a friend doing something that I see is wrong. You know, let's say um, he's doing something wrong and my assumption is that he's doing something wrong, but I should give him the benefit of the doubt, perhaps, you know, that maybe he's not doing that. He's doing something else and I'm only seeing one side of the picture. So I think that empathy is important in life and in business, you know, to understand the other and not just assume things and assume the worst or, and act on that, you know. So there, unfortunately, a lot of times, you know, relationships break because we're assuming too much and we're not really understanding the other person's situation, you know. They may be going through some mental health crisis, you know. They may be going through some difficulties in life that's stressing them out and that's having them, you know, uh, break out or uh, lash out at you and so forth. So I think empathy is one of the the importance that's very important in both business and in your personal relationships and your personal life. Thank you. And it seems to me it's also the same way that you treat yourself by not comparing yourself to others because they have their own journey and you have your own journey, which also you extrapolate to others by respecting their journey and understanding where they're at rather than trying to force and expect and assume they're on the same journey as you. Is this correct? Exactly. Actually, you made a really uh, insightful observation there, Abdulaziz, was that, you know, empathy towards yourself is really important as well. You know, as we were saying earlier, people that are insecurities and so forth, you know, we have these because we're constantly comparing ourselves to other people. Like, you know, I have people as mentors that I look up to. There's designers, you know, in the design world that I look up to, but they're like in their 40s, you know, and I'm like in my late 20s. I I should have some empathy and mercy on myself. You know, you're going through your journey. You know, they weren't where they are now when they were uh, in their 20s. So why are you so harsh on yourself? There's no need to be like that. You know, just go through your journey, learn, um, build and so forth. But don't be so harsh that the expectations are too much. You know, they're overbearing. And a lot of times that actually creates uh, some of our mental health issues. You know, we're comparing ourselves to other people and we're not empathetic enough to ourselves, you know. And so that's what happens when we start to show ourselves in a light that we aren't, you know, um, as we were speaking about earlier. But yeah, it does, very insightful, Abdaziz, uh, really good conversation I'm having with you. Thank you very much. And this could go on for a long, long time. It feels like five minutes, but it's not. <laughs> so, uh, you know, Haman, if people wish to learn more, maybe they wish to contact you, whether on Clubhouse or any other way, or learn about your work, or ask you a question about any of the things you spoke about, what are the best social medias or places or ways to contact you and learn more about you and your work? Yeah, definitely. Um, the best way, I think, Instagram, you know, uh, I don't post much, but I um, 
I do look at my messages frequently. You can find me at hemen.ca, H-E-M-E-N.ca. And I think uh, Twitter the same. If not, uh, simply Hemen uh, is my at on Twitter. Uh, so you can find me there. My name is fairly unique. And I think if you just Google it, you'll probably find me somewhere. Thank you very much. It was an honor, a privilege, and a pleasure. And I wish you a great day. Likewise. Thanks for having me, Abdelaziz. Thank mm-hmm. you.